0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the Conversation Hour.
2: So when you think about what a farmer looks like, what do you visualise? Flannelette shirt, middle-aged man, a Cobra hat, dirty jeans, maybe leaning up against a fence. And then when you think about what a farm, what the land looks like, what do you visualise? Maybe drought-stricken, tin sheds, cows in the paddock. But, Angus Verley, it's not necessarily the case, and it's pretty outdated.
3: Absolutely, Rochelle, and it's interesting us as the media, in the media, talking about these stereotypes and these perceptions that don't really hold water. Because it is the media in some cases, the urban media particularly, that has perpetuated some of these stereotypes. You've mentioned there what a farmer's meant to look like, flannelette shirt wearing, tattered hat, Uh, what a farm's meant to look like, a drought-stricken farm, dusty paddocks, empty dams, animal skeletons, but largely... uh, most of those things aren't generally the case i can't think of anyone any farmer who wears a flannelette shirt for example
2: i I know and i know kirsten diprose who's a regular on this program just recently you know she was out i think when they were handing out rats free rats to farmers and she was in line along with a lot of other farmers and there was uh, a local photographer and basically walked up and i'm paraphrasing here but said to a group of women where are the farmers? I need to take a photograph of the farmers. And they basically had to say, well, you're looking at them. You know, they wanted that stereotypical shot and just not even taking into consideration that that group of women standing there were also farmers.
3: That's right, Rochelle. And that's that's the point, isn't it? That of course, there are some commonality, some sort of visual commonalities among farmers, typically wearing uh, work boots and uh, certain sorts of clothes, but you, you can't, Uh, just look at someone and say, well, you are a farmer or you aren't a farmer based on on the way that you appear.
2: And what about the idea that farmers are struggling and going broke and that at any moment they're going to sell up and that farmers don't necessarily care about the environment? Are they myths that are slowly getting busted or do you feel like as a rural reporter when you're out and about that that's a fight that's always being fought?
3: There's certainly myths as to whether they're getting busted. I'm not all that sure. Uh, Certainly uh, a lot of farmers are are, are under attack, I suppose, by certain sectors in terms of the way they they, they care for the land. But farmers would say that they're they're the the best custodians and the best carers of the land. Uh, And from a financial perspective... Uh, we've, yeah, as you said, there is that perception that farmers are largely just going broke slowly, but really that's generally not the case. Of course, everyone's individual circumstances are different, but a lot of farms these days on in Horsham in Western Victoria, a lot of farms around here are big business, really large mm-hmm. scale, multi-million dollar operations, which is a real contrast to that stereotype that you talked about
2: that's what we're going to look into today what are the stereotypes of farmers from gender through to how you work with and how you think about the environment to the sort of money that you make down to the clothes that you wear so are you a farmer do you bust those stereotypes and also what defines being a farmer Do you even have to work on the land to be able to call yourself a farmer? Add to that, do you need to have to own the land to be able to call yourself a farmer?
0: This is The Conversation Hour.
2: They're all just those stereotypical sounds that we were playing into. Good morning, welcome to The Conversation Hour. My name's Rochelle Hunt and I'm based in Melbourne.
3: And I'm Angus Verley and I'm based in Horsham.
2: We're looking at those stereotypes today of what is a farmer and maybe you feel like you fall into that. Before we go to some of our guests and we're going to cover all aspects, let's go to some calls. Harry's in Haywood. Hey, Harry. G'day. How are you? Good. What do you reckon? Do you bust stereotypes?
4: Oh, yeah. Look, the story I wanted to relate to you,
3: back in the 90s, a mate up uh, east of Dimboola, he got a phone call from his neighbours saying, listen, i have got a Japanese beer company that are going to film an ad here. Would you be in it? And he said, yeah, right, righto. No, the crew all flew in in helicopters. He turned up. They said, turn up in what you're wearing, which was blue jeans, work boots and a flanny shirt, right?
4: No, no, that was no good. He had to have bib and brace overalls and bloody big rubber boots they wanted. <laughs> Do you know what
3: I'm saying? Like, where do you think that comes from, Harry? That that image of a farmer. Where do you think that was coming from? Because clearly, it's it's not it's not your experience. No, they it's like they wanted this sort of old European image, if that makes sense.
2: Um, But in the end, he just
0: yeah. Look, it was a good for a laugh. It was a joke. It's just ridiculous,
2: actually. I know. Well, there's a text here, Harry, that says, in the Mornington Peninsula, guys, it's all moleskins and Range Rovers over my way.
3: Let's go to our first guest now. Rob Clayton is Managing Director of Nutrien. Now, that's that really large-scale national ag retailer agronomy business. Rob, welcome to the Conversation Hour.
1: Yeah, thanks, Angus. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for having me. Rob,
3: I know this is something, this whole stereotypical farmer, what makes a farm, what makes a farmer, it's something that you're pretty passionate about and dispelling that stereotype?
1: Yeah, I am really passionate about it. What I would say, I don't think it is the stereotype in, in the country um, and where our farmers live and live and work. I think in the cities, and this is definitely not an attack on our city friends, I live in the city and I, read the, I live in Melbourne and read the Melbourne newspapers and I think it's understandable why it is a stereotype because agriculture normally makes the papers or the news when there's a drought or when there's something really um, bad happening. So, you know, the typical, the typical Melbourneite or the typical city-based person is going to only hear about agriculture when things are bad.
3: So Rob, we we mentioned earlier that <laughs> the photographer may head out, find an empty dam, find a, 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 a cattle skeleton, or whatever it may be, and then
1: that makes the front page of the paper. Is is that sort of what you're referring to? Yeah, I think it's the negative media. That it's not just in agriculture, but you know, bad news sells, I guess, which is a an unfortunate fact of the world. I just think that you know, we are in the most critical um, industry in the world. We're feeding the globe. That's what agriculture does. And I think it's something we could be a little bit more proactive on promoting. You know, sustainability um, on our farms is, you know, I, it's one of the things we're really passionate about. And it's one of the things that we see the Australian grower. And in fact, farmers all around the world are really passionate about sustainability because they want to pass those farms down to their siblings and their, their offspring and so on, you know, in a viable fashion. So it doesn't make any sense for farmers to not be sustainable practitioners
2: when you talk about passing the farm down is that something that's changed and i don't know if i'm even going to say something here which has been passed down through media stereotypes and if it's true or not that farms would often be passed down to the sons to the blokes in the family and not to women and as a result you're getting less and less women working in farms or taking ownership of that land where do women fall into this stereotype of farming
1: yeah, I think that's changed significantly over... You know, I've been in the industry for 30 years and it probably was 30 years ago, the the sons that were coming back to the farm. But, you know, we've got 4,500 employees in our agricultural organisation and we're hiring about 56% women at the moment. So the professionals that are coming out um, of the universities definitely are more predominantly women. And the jobs in agriculture have changed significantly. So if you think 30 or 40 years ago, you know the the key thing for farming was uh, can I lift heavy things and that's mm. not the the case anymore the The case is farming farming is getting much smarter we're using you know sensors on everything, technology is everything geospatial um, placement of all of the farm inputs and so on and we actually 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 have to win this war of kind of stereotypes because we need new skills in agriculture that we haven't needed before so You know, data analysts, um, IT professionals, um, all sorts of roles that actually didn't even exist in agriculture Mm. not that long ago are key to what is going to help us feed a growing population into the future.
3: And I guess, Rob, that leads into something we touched on earlier about how you can classify yourself as a farmer. And how would you see that definition? Do you have to be working in a shearing shed, driving a tractor Mm. to, to be called a farmer?
1: Yeah, I don't know whether the. I think we're in all in agriculture. You know, in agriculture is an industry, and the farmers are the really important, um, you know, part of that industry. Obviously, if you think about the, they're the base of that industry. They're growing the crops, but it is a real collaboration. You know, again, you're not just ploughing a field and planting the crop and hoping for the best. There's a whole lot of research around the world, and the multinationals like the, the Bayer's and Monsanto's and so on are bringing new technology through. The seed companies are bringing new technology through. Um, a lot of the, the digital technology with geospatialing, and you know, companies like AgWorld, companies like ourselves that have got four thousand agronomists around the place that are that are helping our growers and our livestock agents to, you know, grow better cattle, better livestock, better progeny. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a real partnership. It's not one thing. The farmer is a part of the agricultural and the food chain. Um, an important part, but it is a real collaboration.
2: There's texts here and these two texts literally sit side by side. One saying you're not really a farmer unless you've got livestock and crops and then another from Sarah who says hey Rish and Angus, my husband has to earn off farm income. We are only a hobby farm, but a lot of the time it's just me. I lug hay bales, I fix fences, I deal with pigs, I deal with off the grid solar and water issues, but the one stereotype I don't bust is my filthy jeans. That's from Sarah. Hey, Rob, stay with us because Michael's called from a oh, beautiful part of Victoria in Warrigal. Hey, Michael, what did you want to say?
0: Well, we're talking about farming and there's going to be livestock and crops. Uh,
5: I'm a grower of edible flowers and heirloom veggies.
2: And would you consider yourself a farmer?
5: I consider myself a farmer, I believe, yeah.
3: <laughs> but what about I'm other people, of... Michael? Do, do you find that because you may not be a large-scale producer of those traditional commodities that that other people don't consider you to be a farmer
0: um i'm not sure like uh but you look at overseas like in europe you know even if somebody got two or three cows they're still a farmer and when somebody got a thousand cows they're a farmer as well so it's definitely uh it's it's farming it's just in a different Mm. um a different scale and yeah different crops
2: that's such an interesting point that you raise and angus you and i were chatting about this off air we might put it back to rob when we look at now the rise of i guess what could be called urban farming or micro farming first generation farmers small scale farming and that debate as to whether or not it, and whether or not it's real of are you really a farmer you know if you just have a small plot of land and you only deal with one particular type of heirloom veggie like michael does
3: that's right. No, I think too, if, if, if you haven't happened to have been able to purchase a lot of land or inherit a lot of land, and, and for those reasons, you are a small scale farmer, I actually think it could be uh, quite offensive to have someone label you as, as not a farmer or not a real farmer. And I guess, Rob, Nutrien, uh, your business obviously would deal with farmers of all sorts of different scales and, and I
1: suppose all, all farmers in their own rights. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would definitely classify small, large, medium—they're all farmers, and they're and they're all they're all a really important part of what we're trying to do—is feed the feed a, a growing planet. As I said before, so regardless of the scale, it's not a debate in my mind. If you're if you're growing crops, you're raising livestock you're contributing what's feeding and and clothing the planet, then you're a farmer.
2: There's a text here saying the farm that I work for in the Mornington Peninsula um, is busting all the stereotypes, mainly female, land leasing, all working sustainably with a shared goal to regenerate the land. Speaking of women, it was your mum growing up that was the farmer and not your dad. I'm not sure sort of how old you are, Rob, but was that kind of something that took a while for people to get their head around when they came to your house and said, can I speak to the farmer, please? And your mum having to say, you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my dad was a dry cleaner and my mum was a farmer. And um, definitely when uh, when I was growing up, the, the, the new agents in town would call the house, be talking to my mum and then ask for for my dad. And my dad can talk for Australia. So he's, um, he used to talk to them for a long time when they'd get round to the point of asking, could they come out and look at the livestock? Um, very embarrassing for them. He'd have to hand them back to my mother who'd, who'd then tell them <laughs> that they, they were pretty right. So I, I didn't grow up, I guess. Maybe I didn't grow up the same stereotypes as some people did because I never thought as um, men as the farmer um, because of my upbringing. But I think it's just, and that was the stereotype and probably the experience back then was most men, um, most of the farmers were men, but that's not the case today. And I think the, some of the reasons I talked about earlier around technology and um, you know, the mechanisation of farming and um, just the 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 amount of females professionals that are coming out in numbers now from ag science degrees and so on. You know, as I said, our workforce is um, rapidly turning to professional women, um, and um, that's the market that that we're going to have to operate in. And that's what we're starting to see that shift in farming mm. um, or actual farmers as well. So, yeah.
3: Thanks very much, Rob. we better leave it there, but thanks for coming on the Conversation Hour.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
3: Rob Clayton there, Managing Director of Nutrien, bringing that perspective. Uh, interesting too there that Rob talked, I think he said earlier, Nutrien, uh, more than 4,000 employees, 56% of yes. those women. Uh, and We do have uh, a female farmer on the line, Claire in Kahuna. Claire, you've experienced some of these stereotypes around uh, well, that terrible phrase, I suppose, of a farmer's wife.
6: Yes, I get it all the time.
2: <laughs> Does the show just make that worse? I mean, we did a program on this a little while ago. You know, the whole farmer wants a wife. Well, you know, what if the farmer is is the woman and maybe she wants a wife or maybe she wants a husband? <laughs> I think they had one of those a few years ago on one of those programs, the, the female looking for a husband. Yeah. Do you get stereotyped? Um, What's the most frustrating thing, Claire? Well, I work very much in partnership with my husband. We run the farm... Very much as together, and I constantly contact uh, suppliers in town and just get put in the old bag of being the farmer's wife and they want to speak to my husband or they want the final decision from my husband.
3: How frustrating is that, Claire?
2: <laughs> very frustrating. I've started to get a lot firmer these days, got it used to, when, when I started because I started at twenty four uh, so ten years ago. And, yeah, it was just... I feel like you need so a T-shirt, idiot. you know. I feel like you need a really <laughs> kind of out there T-shirt with some kind of slogan on it that says, I am the farmer and you can, yeah. uh, you can talk to me, you know, and just yeah. really... Put it out there boldly. Claire, thank you so much. There's a text here, Angus, that says, about 20 years ago, I saw a sign on the gate of a farm in WA that read, W.R. Bates and Daughters. At the time, I was astonished and delighted. You're on The Conversation now. My name's Rochelle Hunt. I'm in Melbourne. Angus Verley is with you as well. He's coming to you today from Horsham. Angus, let's actually have a chat with Dr Lucy Newsom now. He's a lecturer at the University of New England's Business School. Lucy, you've been looking into the stereotype of gender when it comes to farming. Is that slowly changing? Please say that it
7: is. (laughs) Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Angus. Um, I think it is changing, but it's still very stubbornly rigid. So with um, what Rob was saying in uh, in his perspective from Nutrien, we are seeing women in these professional agricultural services. And we found recently in a study that, that... uh, that sector hasn't been um, counted when it comes to the ag workforce, so it's a bit bigger than we actually thought. And there's a growth area in that space and women are uh, taking up those positions. But there is still uh, this lagging idea that to be a farmer is to uh, have male characteristics, so to be physically tough and um, solitary and to be engaged in you know, large-scale commodity production. But uh, we are seeing that there is an influx of women into more diverse forms of agriculture, like niche, organic, uh, small-scale agriculture. And we have known, um, you know, since the 90s, uh, when it became more apparent and more visible in the public agenda that women um, in farming are not just farm wives, their contribution has been completely invisible. But we have seeing a lot of change in terms of that visibility as well.
3: Lucy, in terms of the physicality of farming, and and I guess Rob t- talked about now a lot of farming roles not being that physical, but there are there is still a lot of manual labour involved. Mm-hmm. And if a woman is a, a strong, fit, fit woman and does and can sort of emulate her, her male counterparts, is there some sort of does she, can women experience sort of negative perceptions then?
7: Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. I guess so. We are seeing a bit of a move away from the need for physical attributes with ad tech, but um, also whether or not it was ever the case. I mean the average male average farmer whose male is fifty six, he's not gonna be uh, a bodybuilder, he's gonna have a couple of illnesses and injuries that he's carrying. So I'm not I'm not sure whether it's the <laughs> it, whether that how much is that is mythology. You um, but you're right.
2: I find <laughs> it interesting so. out of this and If anyone's listening that is a farmer's wife, we would love to hear from you because that's almost said now, not in a derogatory way, but in a a wife of a farmer is still an incredibly important role to play and a hard role to play as well and being that support network. So, you know, sometimes when we talk about this, Angus, I don't know if I'm sort of touching on something that's right or not, but we sort of say, well, I'm, you know, you're just the farmer's wife, but that is still an important role and support role as well. So by no means should that come in to it as a, uh, a lesser position to be in.
3: That's And that's mm. a good point, Rochelle. And I, I mentioned earlier that I think I said it, that terrible phrase of a farmer's wife, but there are plenty of women who are quite happy to be referred to as farmer's wives and they don't see that as a derogatory mm. term. So I think, yeah, we probably should acknowledge that as well, I, I guess, Lucy. Um, and the other
7: thing is that women have being bound to contribute 49% of the total value of the output in farming communities, and that's when you take into account that um, the unpaid role of women in communities, in the family, but also in sustaining farm viability through off-farm work, as well as their actual farming work, whether it be uh, in the paddock or in the office. Mm. So, we yeah, um, I, if, I'm not sure whether moving forward um, the farmer's wife, farmer, uh, roles will be useful labels it's interesting to say Angus to hear Angus that you um, that women are claiming that identity that's great because it in it does uh, you know, make visible that 49% of contribution that women make to farming Absolutely. community.
2: There's a text here saying children's storybooks are to pretty much blame for this, having uh, males as farmer stereotypes. You don't see female farmers represented. That's from Kay. And AJ says, my wife calls me a farmer's husband. We have three daughters and a son who are all very capable. Is this something that you think, well, actually, let me rephrase that, Lucy. Where will change of the stereotype come from, Do you? think? Does it need to come from the media and changing the images that they're looking for, or is it more from the inside out and from people working within the agricultural industry calling it out?
7: Uh, I think it's a combination of things. We see uh, a bit of a shift between how women will be uh, construct their roles on farm compared to then how they present in the community. So some are still think that it's a bit of a taboo to claim that identity once they're out in more conservative rural communities. Um, so perhaps coming from the inside out is part of that. But we know that about fifty percent of graduates from agricultural degrees are women and have been for quite a while. So whether or not that younger generation uh, leads that change, but also from the from a government perspective, a lot of the policies are quite uh, gender um, gender blind in how they construct the farmer along um, these really masculine characteristics and then there's separate programs for what for, for the farmer's life as it's conceived and we and there's that eighty to ninety percent of Google images when you search Australian farmer come up as a man. So I think all of the spectrum of things that you mentioned need to be
3: Lucy, how important is it to have women in some of those representative roles in agriculture? Because at the moment, we've got the National Farmers Federation. The president is Fiona Simpson. The Victorian Farmers Federation president, Emma Germano. The vice president is Danielle Cucinotto. So uh, is it really important to be having those women in those really visible roles?
7: I think it is, Angus, but I'm also a little bit sceptical about having... Uh, women only in leadership roles of agricultural portfolios without providing equal access to resources like land. So it's gone to 50% um, of women being on boards for agricultural portfolios, which is amazing, and visibility of leaders who are female is always going to be important. But we're doing a study at the moment that's found that there's still not a huge budge from only 10% of women inheriting the family farm. So while you given um well you maybe you know, given leadership visibility on boards, whether or not this flows through to material power in terms of access to land mm. is another thing. So I think, yes, it's great, but there's still a lot to be done.
2: And I guess that's why we're starting to see smaller plots of land and that debate around, you know, how big does the land need to be before you can classify it as a farm? Because then you do have that independence and you're going to start to see first-generation farmers coming through. Lucy, thanks for your work and your insights as well. It's really important work that you do. So thanks for your time.
7: Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Angus.
2: Dr Lucy Newsom, She's a lecturer at the University of New England's Business School. Some great texts coming in, Angus. This one saying farming today is all about business. That old adage was to toil away and hopefully make a profit. Now we manage massive assets in land. We have to make them financially perform for our investment to be competitive. I think some of the city folk think of farming just as the production of systems like nice yellow paddocks of canola rather than the business management and the strategic management that Happens in the office. And I don't know if you can, if this is a, a bigger debate than what is coming through on text, but there's quite a few people saying, What's the difference between a farmer and a market gardener? And another saying, Is a flower grower in Moldbalk a farmer? Please answer this ongoing debate amongst friends.
3: I think if you're doing it commercially and you're doing it as an occupation, because a farmer is an occupation, you list it on your census as your occupation. And if that's what you're doing to make a living, or to make a part living, even, then I can't, I don't think it's anyone's place to say you're not allowed to use the term farmer. That that would be my thoughts.
2: Well, there you go. You have just officially handled that debate. I'm, so the next I'm sure I haven't ended that debate, I'm sure. Market. Like Angus Burley said, yeah. that I can call myself a farmer. This is no longer a debate. Robins in Wandelgong. That's a fun place oh, to is, say. Have I said that uh, correctly, Robert? Yes, it's
4: Wandelgong. Um... Look, I believe that um, attitudes are formed pretty early in our lives. Um, I used to be a kindergarten preschool teacher and um, made a point of starting stories—the old traditional stories, you know, the the tale of the turnip and and those sort of stories. once upon a time there was a farmer and her
6: husband. Now, in hindsight, I should have started. Once upon a time, there were two farmers—a man called such and such and a woman called yes. such and such, but. Um, I think that,
4: that early discussion is important, and God, I've seen women work hard on farms and men work hard on farms, but getting early. Yeah,
3: thanks, Robin. Yeah, interesting perspective. Chris, in Port Arlington, you run a stall at a farmer's market and you're, you've got a female boss who's a butter maker?
6: Absolutely, yes. I just wanted to mention that farmer's markets are are very interesting places and they're they're all over the shop. My boss, Monica, is unbelievable. She went off to America and, well, for a start, she's a um, a, a dairy farmer's daughter, and she decided she was going to make butter. Uh, So five or six years ago, she went to America and studied really hard and did courses. And, as I say, for five years, she's been running this. Oh, the butter is unbelievable. She gets a a tonne of cream at a time and just makes the most gorgeous product. But generally speaking, at farmers' markets, most of the people are women, uh, the, the um, stall holders. And I just wanted to say that um, I think that education is important, uh, and certainly a passion for what farmers do is equally important. Mm. And so I just wanted to shout out. To yeah, good on both. you. Thanks.
2: And you've actually raised something there, Chris just how farmers' markets have changed, Angus, and it really depends on where you are and when you go to them. But I've been to a couple of farmers' markets of late. I had to stop because I felt like it was all I could do during lockdown and I have PTSD now, I think, when I go to a farmers' market about lockdown. But there's been a few that I've been to where it was hard to get produce. You know, they've become almost like little bric-a-bracs and there's there's lots of candles and and things. But what's been loosely called a a farmer's market, I'm going thinking, you beauty, don't need to go to a supermarket or to my local greengrocer this week. I'm going to go and buy direct. And there's less and less produce at these farmer's markets now.
3: Yeah, that's right. And I'm not entirely up to date on this, Rochelle, but I know there was a, a push on to reserve the use of the term farmer's market specifically for markets that exclusively have produce. Yeah. We should probably check in on where that's at.
2: Yeah, I know. Well, i need to find the ones that have more more produce and less smelly candles. Jason's called through. Jason, we haven't spoken to you for a while. You're in southwest Victoria. What
1: did you want to say? Good G'day. G'day, Rochelle. G'day, Angus. Um just wanted to say that you probably should be using partner instead of the term wife because there is a lot of us LGBTI farmers as well. So.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um. Absolutely. How far have we got in that conversation, do you think? Is that changing at all?
1: Look, I won National Young Farmer of the Year a couple of years ago, and I had a couple of people come to me and say, oh, you're like the first out gay farmer, and I, I'm far from it. There is a, there is a lot, a lot of um, gay farmers, and it is tough at times, but um, it, we've got, I've got some trans friends that have had issues coming out but uh, living their true selves on-farm. And, um, yeah, it's uh, we break the mould, but we, we we love what I what we do. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of us around. I just wanted to make sure you knew
0: yeah. that.
2: Yeah, good on you, Jason. It's a really important point. Thank you. Michelle says here, Angus, morning, Michelle and Angus. I'm a farmer's wife because we were talking before about taking ownership of that as well. Maybe we should say that, as Jason said, a farmer's partner. Currently making lunch for a sheep classer and husband. I've started cooking cakes for shearing in four weeks where I feed that team as well. I help a lot on the farm farming isn't isn't my dream but my husband who works is on the family farm and that's from Michelle and that's what I was I guess what I was talking about it's all of that what we classify as incidental stuff that's a lot of work it's almost like saying being the the stay-at-home parent isn't a real job when we all know it's the hardest thing you'll do and going to work is the easy bit
3: So true, Rochelle. I spoke to uh, a a lady uh, around Horsham back at harvest time who did all of the cooking uh, for the the tractor drivers, the header drivers, the truck drivers, and that was she really described the the engine room, uh, Mm -hmm. the, the, the kitchen as the engine room of harvest. And if she said that she could be pulled away to go and drive a tractor, but she said she made it clear then that. There wouldn't be food on the table. So, um, and yeah. she said that they were quite happy for, for food to keep coming in. So, yeah, certainly an important part of, of farming operations.
2: So are you a farmer and are you busting those stereotypes? And how do we define a farmer? What do you need to do? Do you need to work on the land? Does it need to be a lot of land? And do you even need to own that land?
0: This is the Conversation Hour.
2: And I know over... To Two years ago now when we rebranded and relaunched the Conversation Hour to be a truly statewide program, Warwick Long, the original co-host who you hear on Fridays on this program, the first thing, Angus, that he and I said to each other about our imaging and branding was no cows mooing, no cowbells, you know, no classic cliché farmer sounds, farming sounds like we've just heard. Because as we've been discussing today, the media plays a huge role in... That old-fashioned stereotype. Although we did get a text from one person saying our family does have a uh, a children's book with farming uh, two farmers in it, and they're women. So you know it's changing a little bit, but it's still got a long way to go, doesn't it?
3: That's right. Now even uh, talking there about what what's, what a farm sounds like, it's a reminder for myself. I'm based in Horsham, Western Victoria. It's largely a grain-growing and livestock production region. And that's right. Hence, that's, that's sort of what I think about as farming because that's what I'm involved with in my daily life. But we've had some, numerous calls and texts from people uh, who are vegetable growers, people producing things for farmers markets. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's the full spectrum.
2: So, a text here saying, I think farmers' reputation for environmental care is polluted by uh, some political parties as well. But we'll go into that in just a moment, looking at, uh, I guess, the role that climate and the image that climate has. Fergus O'Connor can talk about that. He's from South Gippsland. He's a beef farmer, a member of the Farmers for Climate Action. He's just in Berry's Creek, which is just near Lee and Gatha, a beautiful part of Victoria. Fergus is... The stereotype that farmers don't care about the land and don't care about the environment, is that changing?
4: I think it's changed. It's not changing, it's changed. You know, a lot of farmers are doing a lot of really good work. We're, we're passionate about what we do and we're passionate about the environment and the way we look after our, our land and our animals.
3: OK, so you think uh, the work's done there, Fergus, or you think it, it still needs oh. to change? <laughs>
2: I would
4: say there's a bit no, of work to go. No, no, no. There's a long way to go, but people are doing great things. Meat and Livestock Australia are doing great things. Um, with reducing um, emissions and this sort of thing. So, you know, we're, we're all farmers and we're all dealing with a changing climate and we're all adapting to it and doing what we can. A lot of people are doing more than others. Um, I'm a regenerative beef farmer and I produce grass-fed beef. And most of that actually goes to America because they can't get grass-fed beef in America, which sounds ridiculous. But, um, yes, I'm pretty passionate about my animals and about the land and about the climate and what I do.
2: How much is the consumer wanting that information now, Fergus, do you think? So, you know, once upon a time... You weren't given a lot of info at your butcher or at the supermarket about your meat. I feel like that information is getting greater and greater to the point where I don't know if I'm being greenwashed or not. How much does the consumer want to know about the meat that they're eating?
4: I think a lot of people want to know exactly where it comes from and how it's been raised. And if you can prove through the chain of supply that this is how you raised your beef, you get a premium for it, and that's what I do. Um, so it, it's actually quite simple, you know, because you can track everything that goes through, you know, from conception to processing and beyond into the butcher's shops with my particular brand. And, and that can be traced in, in certain circumstances. And people are really interested in it. And a lot of people won't eat, um, certain things if they know they've been factory farmed, for example. But if, if they know they've been well farmed and well looked after, you know, they, they, they really jump on board and enjoy the product, whether it's, um, you know, beef or lamb or protein or, you know, vegetables, you know, that have, have been grown carefully and not, not covered with chemicals. And there's a growing, you know, it's growing, growing, growing all the time. And, you know, we're still a fair way behind Europe, but, it's, it's catching on enormously and we're, we're getting larger and larger.
3: Fergus, you touched earlier on what you're doing to look after the environment at your place. Uh, what do you, how do you feel when you, you, we hear some of these groups, activist groups, whatever they may be, framing farmers as environmental vandals? How do you react to that? And tell us a bit more about what you're doing
4: to look after the environment at your place. I can't really control what other people say. All I can do is to show them what I'm doing. You know, we we run a beef herd and we, we use regenerative grazing. We're cutting our emissions by using a mixed species of grasses, and that's been proven to be really good. We've fenced off our creeks and waterways and we've had all the frogs and all the wildlife come back. You know, we've had up to five different species of frogs um, identified on our property. You know, we've had the reed warblers and all the birds come back as well. So we're not only providing wildlife and nature, you know, a nice place to live, but our cattle are well looked after and they have shade and shelter. Provided for, so they're neither too hot in the summer or too cool in the winter because they they've got cover and shelter, shade and shelter. And I'm I'm sort of very passionate about what I do, and I love my livestock and I look after it as best I possibly can. How and possible think- is
2: it, Fergus, for? I guess, all farmers to do this. I mean, is it more expensive? We know even just generally living a sustainable life, whether it be, say, building or renovating your house, on average I think it can cost sort of 15 to 20% more. Is it more expensive to do some of the things that you're doing? Does your profit take a hit?
4: Well, I think farming is going to have to go down the line of more sustainable farming because with the price of urea and nitrogen going up enormously, you know, part of our mixed species of grasses is clovers and legumes. So we're putting the nitrogens back into the soil naturally, um, which actually is a a much better way of putting nitrogen on your soil than putting synthetic fertilisers, which are becoming hugely expensive. Um, I use a a compost fertiliser and um that 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 can be made after soil tests by the company specifically for my land and my soil tests what they show I need whereas a synthetic fertilizer might just get thrown on but as the price of urea as you know is more than doubled in the last 12 yeah, months fertilizer has got expensive yeah um it it's become it, it will become unsustainable to keep throwing nitrogen on when you, when it's too expensive so if you can put it on naturally with your clovers and legumes you, you're much better off.
3: Fergus we better keep moving but thanks very much for joining us on the Conversation Hour. Okay thanks for your help anyway. Fergus O'Connor there, he's a beef farmer in South Gippsland and also a member of Farmers for Climate Action.
2: There is a big uh, fertiliser kind of shortage, or it is getting more expensive. Do you see that being problematic down the track, Angus, for what people choose to use and any progression that we've made in organic uh, fertilisers or fertilisers that are better for the environment? Is that going to put us behind at all, do you think, Just purely because people can't afford it?
3: Definitely at the moment, the the main fertilisers used on farms are, are essentially at record highs, Rochelle, and that's got people thinking a lot about uh, how much fertiliser they use this season, what sort of crops they grow. I was talking to a dairy farmer a few weeks ago who's, who's going to try and make more use of his own effluent uh, as a source of nitrogen fertiliser. There'll be farmers in this part of the world probably growing crops uh, like lentils, faba beans, pulses that uh, that don't need nitrogen fertiliser added to them. Uh, but I think, in most part, most of those decisions will be uh, probably financial, bottom yeah. line sorts of decisions.
2: And why did it get? Not that we want to go down the fertilizer line, but why did it get so expensive all of a sudden? Is it supply chain issues? Is it importation? How did it get to to get to be so expensive just of late?
3: Yeah, there's a few different issues. A big one, and we've talked about this affecting all sorts of things, is is shipping, and so cost of transport which is huge at the moment so that's certainly playing a big role and there have been various sort of production related disruptions uh, and also the fertiliser demand is really high at the moment we've just grown a a really big crop Mm. in Australia Lots of fertilizers being used and needs to be replaced, and uh, all of those things and other factors as well, all sort of coming Perfect together. Store. So it's. E- exactly. Yeah. But, but again, it's uh, these things rise and then they inevitably fall. So that's what people will be hoping happens down the track.
2: This textile farm on three acres, full time, no tractor, no chemical inputs, supporting a family of four, feeding the local community with fresh, healthy veg. Currently pulling out carrots by hand, and I'm wearing a flannelette shirt, dirty pants, and I do have a big hat. Cheers, farmer of um, 52 years years old and 10 years on the land the hat thing I mean that just makes sense right I totally get the hat because you're out and you are on if you're working the land as a farmer we know that farmers do different things but you need something that's going to protect you against the elements and the stereotypical one is kind of going to give you the best protection isn't
3: it that is true Rochelle but that makes me think of something else too that uh, the way a farmer it's sort of your typical looking farmer varies from area to area um you walk down the street in horsham and you're not likely to see anyone wearing an akubra but maybe you go to a, a western queensland town and do the same thing and not that i've been but i'm sure you'd see lots of akubras so it, it does sort of vary probably from industry to industry and area
0: to area
2: ryan's in Kaluis. i probably have mispronounced that as well uh, sorry no it's peter sorry peter welcome
0: that's okay, thank you. Cool, it's on the Ballerine Peninsula. Yep.
2: Lovely. What What did you want to say?
0: Um, the discussion on farming and the diversity. I, I think the the focus on technology and and the growth of things like vertical farming and and the need for much more production capacity to service the growing you know um, numbers in our community. I think is important, and and that also adds to the diversity in farming. Um, the vertical farming business that I'm involved in. Um was founded um, by two fantastic women, both agri-scientists. Um, it operates in Vietnam. It employs 70% women. Um, it, it produces completely organic, um, carbon-positive. Um, it uses almost no water. And on five five hectares, it just grows an enormous amount of food. And so I think the definition of a farmer, um, the definition of what farming looks like, uh, and the way in technology is going to cause that to change and mm. the demands of the community are going to cause that to change Means we have to rethink how we think about farmers. Mm, interesting one, thanks,
3: Peter. And that's, I guess, the more more uh, intensive farming in the future to feed a growing world population. Uh, Prue's in serpentine. Prue, you're a grain grower.
8: Yes, grain and sheep production.
3: And obviously, Prue, you're a female.
8: I am definitely a female, yes. I am a fifth generation farmer uh, in the Serpentine District and my husband actually moved from his family farm to our family farm to farm alongside myself and my parents.
2: What stereotypes do you still come up against?
8: (laughs) I found it funny listening to one of your callers before about uh, the hat. Oh, look, my husband wouldn't be caught dead in a Cobra. Um, (laughs) It depends on what industry you're in as to what hat they wear. But I think... When it comes to stereotypes, if you've got two hands, a passion for it and you're willing to get an education in agriculture, um, anyone can be a farmer nowadays, you've just actually got to be willing to upskill. You can't just walk out into a paddock and plant something and hope it grows anymore.
3: Hey, Prue, you're in Serpentine as well. There's, we heard earlier this week on the radio on the Country Hour from Erin Twig, a young woman who's <laughs> who's gone shearing. She, she's from just up the road from you, isn't she?
8: She is. She's an amazing young woman who inspires lots of the next generation with her skills. Her mother also used to be very talented in the ag industry. So it's um, in the family bloodlines there. This, this
2: is what I love, just hearing women from all different areas, especially into shearing as well. I, I couldn't believe in uh, looking at women that shear and some of the women I know that Eden Hennenden was talking about that particular um, story, but I think one of them lost something like 17 kilos, like to show you how heavy duty and how much work goes into shearing sheep. If you want to lose a couple of kgs, you just got to get out there and shear
4: some sheep,
2: I think, Angus.
4: Yeah,
3: maybe that's what I should be doing.
2: <laughs> just get out there and get onto the land. Let's have a quick chat to Scott. He's in Alexandra. Hey, Scott.
8: How you going, guys? Good. Just How quickly, you? what did you want to say? just wanted to mention one large, huge thing from Australia is aquaculture, and he's aren't saying anything about that, and that's a farming industry, one of the biggest we've got in Australia and ahead of the world in most aspects.
2: And you think it's not considered when we think about farming? You don't think that people think about aquaculture at all. They just think about land. You
8: never think about you never think about water when you say farming, do you? That's just a a natural, you know, um, and it's not anyone's fault. But yeah, it's Um, funny because we've done
2: a couple of shows just on that recently. We've looked at the seaweed industry and a huge, big commercial seaweed farm, which is one of the fastest-growing aquaculture uh industries that's about to be opened in or at least they're putting it out to tender anyhow in Gippsland we've also looked at oysters again that's happening in Gippsland but that will be an indigenous-led oyster farm so I think there's some incredible work that's happening within aquaculture but I think you know that um they're right in that maybe we don't think about it but money is the other side of it and whether or not Angus we think that all farmers are just hanging on by the skin of their teeth
3: Absolutely, and that's, that's probably a good time now, Rochelle, to introduce Ryan Milgate. Uh, welcome to the Conversation now, Ryan.
0: Yeah, g'day, Angus and Rochelle. How are you?
3: Pretty well, Ryan. Now, you're a grain grower. You're just up the road from me near Minyip. Um, Ryan, we've been talking throughout the program about this uh, perception perhaps perpetuated in the urban media that a lot of farmers are just going broke slowly, but I think largely that's not the case.
0: Yeah, look, I think that old stereotype of farmers that... Um you know, bits of uh backward hicks almost out in the sticks is definitely long gone. Um and um yeah, farmers are now running, you know, sophisticated multi million dollar businesses and there's a lot of um a lot of planning, a lot of strategy and and a lot of a lot of behind what goes on.
2: The average size farm and, and working farm when we think about those that are on the land, whether it be grain or whether it be cattle What's that like compared to behind the scenes? You know, we've heard a lot today about the people that are working in the office that maybe are through uh, ITs. We've heard about data, all sorts of areas that contribute to agriculture and to a working farm. Do we sort of think about the numbers that are, I guess, behind computers and
0: not necessarily on tractors? Um, Yeah, look, there's definitely probably a lot of crossover between, you know, they are actively in the field, but they're also spending a significant amount of time in the office. Um, I know, you know, if you went around a farm a few years ago, you wouldn't, seen, you wouldn't have seen an office. It would have been a little, probably a hutch in the house somewhere. But there's a lot of farms now have got, you know, quite, quite modern offices. And there's, you know, meetings with agronomists and advisors. And so there's not necessarily one person spending a lot of time behind the scenes, but everyone's spending a lot of time on that sort of planning and strategy side of the business.
3: Ryan, do you think because farming's happening sort of out of sight, out of mind a little bit, that the general public maybe don't have a sense of the scale of it, that they may not realise that if that farm was compared to a business in town, that it would probably be one of the bigger or one of the biggest businesses in, in the town?
0: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people wouldn't realise, um, I mean, particularly in the last five years, we've seen land values increase significantly. So, um, there's some very, very significant, you know, um, capital-based operations out there and they're just, uh, you know, what you would think was an average family farm. So, yeah, it's huge amounts of money tied up and that's where the, um, you know, there's a lot of business thinking and, and thought going into it now because we are, you know, there's a lot at stake
3: and this is not to say that all farmers are making money hand over fist and everyone's got different personal circumstances but but no doubt Ryan if you take western victoria the past couple of seasons uh, there has been a lot of money made
0: um, yeah look i think the you know the rural economy's going really well the last couple of years particularly in western victoria and um i think you see that flow through into the towns and everything as well and um yeah there's definitely you know it's been a good time we hope it continues but as we all know, um, we can plan and strategise for mm. lots of things, but there's also a lot we can't control.
2: And just finally, Ryan, you said you're sort of there's getting record numbers for land. What's the reasoning behind that? Is it the successful harvests that we're having, or is it urban sprawl and lots of sort of people wanting to get their hands on to uh, to land for housing estates? What? Why is the numbers so great?
0: Oh. Look, I'm not sure out in the if you talked in the Broadacre area of the Wimmera, I don't think housing would be having that bigger impact. But I mean, there's there's been a lot of you know um, super fund type money come into agriculture. They see it as a very a very safe long term um, investment, and and that's driving it. Low interest rates and and you know good profitability, and and, and a lot of people got a very positive outlook. So. Um, yeah, you combine, it's sort of been a perfect storm of combining all those factors and it's
3: really driven land values up recently. Better leave it there, Ryan. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank
0: you. No worries.
3: Ryan Milgate there. He's a farmer at Minyap, just up the road from Horsham. Now, let's take a quick call. Uh, David's in Madonga. David, we just heard from Ryan. He's talking about grain growers on thousands and thousands of acres. Uh, different story for yourself.
5: It certainly is, yeah. Um, I've only got a very small little plot, like I'm on sort of half of a quarter acre. I live in a a two-bedroom unit. I've got a very nice little backyard, though, and um, apparently I can be classified as a farmer because I grow more than five products. Um, I've got two chickens in in their own separate yard, Um, and I get eggs every day, and I've also got my little veggie patch... And I get from that um, silver beet, parsley, and strawberries. And I've got three fruit trees in. It. I get Washington Naval oranges, mm. lemons, and mandarins.
2: Ah. So, does that mean you're simply self sufficient, or does that mean you're a farmer?
5: Well, I don't know, but just by the terms of when I heard on on ABC Radio a few months ago, you guys were talking to the um, Farmers' Federation president, and he was saying to be classified as a farmer, you only need to grow five or more than five or more products to be called a farmer.
2: Well, that means then, Angus, given the state of your veggie patch at the moment, you, you can call yourself a farmer. I think
3: David and I have got pretty similar operations going on <laughs> on our quarter acres, to be honest. Oh, I've so got three chooks, though.
2: Chicken. You don't have chooks?
3: <laughs> I've got three. I just oh. bought three, actually, just last week. What just are their just names? Just replenished my chooks. Oh, no, they don't Do have, they have names. names. No. But they're very they're well guess... loved and cared for. Just they are loved.
2: It. Did you get fresh eggs this morning?
3: Uh, they've just started laying. I bought them at Point of Lay and they've just started laying. So I got a few uh, yesterday for the first time.
2: It's been really interesting today looking... At this, I mean, there's text here now saying RM Williams to farmers is what black is to Melbourne, but even that's changing. Looking at the stereotype from money, climate, uh, gender, uh, sexuality, there are so many different areas. But I think what I've found fascinating over the last couple of years is looking at the interest of people that want to work within this sector. And I think that that's what's changing the conversation from my perspective anyhow.
3: Yeah, and I think it's all about um, avoiding labels. If someone wants to call themselves a farmer, they can be a farmer. If they want to be a farmer's wife, they can be called a farmer's wife. Uh, If they're small scale, then they want to be known as a farmer, then I think that should largely be their prerogative. And, yeah, hopefully some of these stereotypes we have at least had a conversation about and maybe uh, contributing yeah. to dispelling them.
2: Just reminded me, I was at a farmer's market with my husband and he went up to this young dude who was kind of dressed in stereotypical farmer's clothes, you know, jeans, kind of cut off and frayed and had a hat, had the whole works and my husband asked him something about a particular produce. He said, I don't know, mate, I'm not a farmer, I don't work here. <laughs> it was just his <laughs> kind of Northgate shtick that he was wearing. That's it for the Conversation Hour today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can always subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast podcast podcast. You can go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts and that way you'll never miss an episode. Share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak to you soon.